Kia ora, I'm Erin Keem and you're listening to Conversations About Closets with my closest thousand friends. I started this project to get me through a gloomy Seattle winter, which was hitting me hard. The thing is, I love women. Why not showcase them? Why not call women I've never met, have our first conversation, record it and turn it into a podcast? So that's what I did. I didn't edit, I still don't. Some days I'm on fire, some days not so much, and sometimes I even forgot to ask questions about closets. But all my guests are amazing. Listen up, get to know them, you'll be glad you did. If you want to be a guest on my show, go to erinkeem.com. I'd love to meet you. Aroha for listening, here's today's episode. Christine, I'm so sorry I ran late. Oh, no worries. No worries. Morena, kia ora. How are you? Morena, kia ora. How wonderful to talk to somebody who understands that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, it is a lovely day down here in Aotearoa. How are you doing? Rub it in. It's summer (laughs) down there. I'm a Kiwi living in Seattle. You're an American living in Auckland and New Zealand. And you've got summer summer and summer weather, and I am staring at a grey, dismal day. So, so rub it in. <laughs> it is it is beautiful here. I actually just came into my office and had to open the window because last night I'm actually closer towards Wellington. We live in the wine country just east of Wellington and the Wairarapa, and uh, the wind here is massive, right? Because we've got the Cook Strait that goes between the North and the South Island. And the wind just comes over through Australia across the Tasman and it gets funneled right there between the Southern Alps and the Rumatakas and the Tararuas here on the North Island. And it just creates this wind tunnel. And last night it was massive. So we had to close all the windows or else they might have blown away. And, uh, I came in this morning, opened up the window, and it's just a glorious day. And my neighbor has this really massive Australian gum tree that I can see directly from my window. And it's just a nice little breeze now going through. And um, it's just beautiful. The Tuis are up there singing their song. Oh, I can picture it. And I'm sorry, I forgot you were closer to Wellington. No, it's all good. Oh, what a beautiful description. Thank you. Yep. Christine, I, I, I need to, I forgot to ask because I know you, but would you please tell us about you and what you do? Sure, sure. So um, I am a career coach right now and an independent contractor who does mostly um, like CIO for hire type stuff. So I do a lot of backfill for uh, CIOs who are going out on leave and maybe they're going out on a secondment or a sabbatical. And I'm doing that after over 25 years in big corporate consulting that I've gone all around the world with, um, lived in the U.S., obviously from the accent, that's where I'm originally from, Uh, spent some time in Canada, the U.K., Japan, and now here. And uh, we moved to New Zealand about three years ago. And once we got here, we realized this is phenomenal, right? This is an absolutely phenomenal place. So we decided it was time to transition from being an expat to being an immigrant. And um, so, yeah, so we've become permanent residents here on our way to citizenship. 
And uh, yeah, so it was also my opportunity. I turned 50. Um, it was an opportunity to leave my original firm, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and had a fantastic career there. And it really enabled me to, to travel the world. But now uh, what I found is that the, the part of my job that I loved the most was actually growing other consultants. And when I was thinking about leaving, one of the first things I did was I went and spoke to people who know me, people who had worked with me over the years and especially in the most recent years and said, what am I good at? What's my superpower? And they were all pretty consistent and said, you know, you're really good at leading teams, but what you're really good at is growing other people. And so I thought, all right, well, I need to do something that combines the two of those, but with a heavier lean towards, um, you know, helping other people. So I developed a program that helps people prepare for performance reviews, specifically people who work in organizations that are highly structured. So big corporations and, um, get them ready for that. And then what I found out is that, um, really the part that they were struggling with and, and, there's each company has a, a way of preparing for your annual review. They've usually got a set of templates and stuff. And, and some people still need help with that, but um, there's a lot of tools around that. But what I found is that it's on the other side of the equation where people needed the most help. And that was once they got feedback, they didn't really know what to do with it. And in some cases it was really a career setback. So I, started working with people on how to develop for themselves a clear vision of what their future should be and then a realistic roadmap to actually get there so that they can bounce back from those setbacks and because there will be setbacks on any career. And so, yeah, so now that's what I focus on is helping them develop that clear vision, build their roadmap to bounce back from career setbacks. I know you said people. And you were uh, very clear in the way that you said people, but I'm talking to women mm -hmm. and about women. And I know you have made enormous difference in the lives of millennial women. Yes. Who perhaps are getting feedback and don't always have the skill or life experience or guidance to interpret that in a way that it's useful to them. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because people, people say, and it's a little bit of a cliche that, you know, feedback is a gift and it is, it's, it's a very valuable gift, but until you actually take the time to evaluate the value you don't really get it. You know, you can get it on the surface if somebody gives you a bit of feedback and, you just take it and say, okay, well, now what do I need to do to address that feedback? That's actually, I don't want to say not good enough. That's a good first step. But the reality is there's a, a diagnosis that needs to happen. You need to dissect what that feedback is. You need to look at it in comparison to the work that you were expected to do, the work that you actually did, the work that others around you who may be in the same role have done and the way that their outcomes turned out. And then also you have to evaluate the person that was actually giving you the feedback. Um, one of the things I talk about is there was a day um, not too long ago, it was a couple years ago, where I was working on a, a pretty large project, pretty intense project. And in the morning, I had been pulled aside by one of the partners and 
he kind of berated me and told me that I was absolutely too harsh. I was too rough on um, this one in this one meeting in this one situation. And it was, um, it, it was just not good. It, it ne I needed to readjust. I needed to reset. And I said, thank you. And I kind of took that in. And then later that same afternoon, a different partner who was in the same meeting came to me and said, you need to stand up for yourself more. You were too much of a pushover. And I literally just went, okay, I, I can't win. And at that point though, it became very clear to me that you not only have to take in the feedback that you were given, really diagnose, is it something that is um, something about past behavior or is it a recommendation for future development? Is it giving you guidance or is it just punishment? You also have to evaluate the person giving you the feedback. And, you know, there's all these different points. So I developed a uh, feedback evaluation canvas. And those of you who are familiar with a lean canvas model, it's a one page. Um, yeah, it's basically a one page framework that you basically go through and you fill in the questions, right? You just answer the questions as you go. And it asks you things like, you know, is it this kind of feedback or that kind of feedback? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it um, is it an assessment of past behavior or is it a recommendation for future development? So you go through and it helps you really de you know, digest and deconstruct the feedback and compare it to, like I said, what you are supposed to do, the outcomes that you were supposed to be hitting. Um, and you, you know, part of it can also be not just a capability. What are your skills? It could also be behavior of behavioral feedback. And so there's a couple of little nuances in there. And then of course, you know, figuring out what are the next steps? So what do you do with it? You know, what are your, um, what are your perspectives from that feedback of what you actually need to go forth with now? And, and one of the things that you may go forth with is that actually the feedback that you got was not good and you need to get feedback from somebody else. I wish I'd been able to work with you in the past. I've been fired on multiple occasions and working with you instead of running and crying <laughs> in the bathroom would have been a lot more effective. Mm. I do have a sister who's wonderful that she's always on my side no matter what. And she's always able to reframe things in a positive way. But having somebody like you would have been absolutely invaluable. Well, I've been really, uh, I don't want to say lucky because I don't think luck has much to do with it. I think you know, I think it has to do with being surrounded by people who you can take little bits from. And I think that's, you know, one of the benefits of having such a diverse career and a career that has taken me all over the place, which is I've had the opportunity to observe how the people around me lead and take in what I knew that I wanted to be as a leader and also recognize the things that others were doing that I said to myself, when I become a leader, that's one of the things I don't want to do. And I've, I've, I can't tell you the, <laughs> the thing that actually brings me the greatest joy is when I get the phone call from someone that I've coached in the past and they are calling so that I can be a reference for them because they've got this big, um, executive level role that they're now, you know, in the final reference checks for. And I, I just had that happen recently where I, out of the blue, um, out of the blue, I got a phone call from one of the millennial women that I coached 
about 10 years ago when she was just very early in her career. I want to say she was, oh, maybe six or seven years into her career at that time. She's, she's an older millennial. And, um, she called me and said, Hey, I am up for an executive role, um, at one of the, um, I'll just say one of the Fang companies. And would you be a reference for me? And if I was thrilled because this means that she has actually gone beyond what I did. And that's exactly how it's supposed to work, right? So the the people that I'm coaching, specifically the the young millennial women, and even the um, the next generation that's coming up, I've got people that I'm working with who are you know 22, 23 as well. And so I I think of all the things that they're going to be able to do because their starting point is much further down the road than mine was, and they get the benefit of this information that I've curated over the last 20 some odd years, they get to start with that. And it may be not fully refined for them yet, but at least having that knowledge. um, Yeah. I spent a good chunk of my early career, just not understanding the feedback that I was getting. And uh, until I had some really good managers around me and some really good coaches around me, um, I didn't really have those tools in my toolkit to help me manage my own career and, and drive it forward. You are going to propel women further, faster. You're going to save them years through what you That's do. That's the intent. <laughs> That's exactly the intent. Yeah. yeah. Because the further, faster women get, mm-hmm. the better. Exactly. May I ask? May I ask a quick question? What's Fang? Oh, uh, so that's the um, like the Facebooks, the um, the Adobe, the the Netflix, the Google, the Amazon. So it's just an acronym: F A A N G. So it's Facebook. Thank you. For yeah, Facebook, me. Amazon, um, Adobe, Netflix, and Google. Given that I'm living in Seattle, you think I've <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I could get a Starbucks coffee and throw it, and I would hit mm-hmm. one of those. Absolutely, you will. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Price Waterhouse Cooper is a really, really big deal in mm. New Zealand. Uh, there is not a Kiwi down there who hasn't heard of that company, and that name comes with a lot of clout. Uh, a refusal never offends, but. As a traveling frog, which you have to explain what the <laughs> heck that means, sure. you you chose with Price Waterhouse instead of going up, you chose to go wide, Correct. I believe, so that you could keep yeah, traveling. Ex- would you t- would you tell us a what a traveling frog is and b a little bit about your strategy with Price Waterhouse? Sure. So um, the traveling frog moniker actually was given to me by my husband. So my husband and I have been married for almost thirty years now. We got married very young against everybody's recommendations. And um, he is from Russia. And there is a children's fairy tale in Russia about, um, I'm going to say this wrong, but Lugushka Putishestunitsa. And she is a little frog and she loves to travel. And so what she did is she made friends with a bird. And this bird picks her up and they go traveling together, they go flying together. And so she's called the traveling frog. And so that's what my husband deemed me. So now I've got these little frog figurines everywhere. Um, I have them in my garden. I have a couple of little miniature size ones, not much bigger than my thumb all over my house. And yeah, it's just been ever since I started traveling in the nineties. I I've been wearing the traveling frog moniker. 
And you chose deliberately to uh, structure your career so that you would be able to travel as part of that. That's right. So I I started out actually in banking in the... um, in the late 80s, early 90s, really, when I was still in university. And um, I learned some pivot lessons there. So the first one was, I wasn't intending to go into banking. And um, and this story actually starts there. So this is important to the, the why I went wide. And so when I got to my first job in banking, it was actually supposed to be a front desk job. It, we were in the middle of a refinance boom. And a friend of mine's mom was the um, branch manager for a bank in Dallas and said, hey, we need someone to answer the phones. We've got all this, you know, all these people calling in wanting to refinance their mortgages. And can you just come in and help us do that? And I thought, sure, I could do that. I needed a job. I needed to save up some money so I could fly back to the Soviet Union to go get married to my husband who was there waiting for me. And so I got, got there. And I was terrible. I hung up on everybody. (laughs) I couldn't transfer a phone call without hanging up on a customer. So I had, oh, it was so bad. I had customers mad. I had loan officers mad. I had loan processors mad, underwriters. Everybody was mad at me. And my friend's mom, who was the uh, branch manager, felt bad for me. And she said, all right, well, I know you're a smart kid, so let's throw you in the back and see what you can do. And so they put me in the back with the closing department and the closing department. Now, this was this was before computers. Okay, so the closing department had a stack of paper manila file folders almost as tall as me. And they said, listen, these are all um, accounts that have already closed. Um, These are all. Uh, files for people that we did the house loan for and they've moved into the house, but there is something that they forgot to sign or something that even worse, the person who sold them the house forgot to sign. You need to go hunt down the seller who we don't know where they are. You need to go hunt them down and get a courier over to them so that they can initial or sign the one thing they forgot to sign. So that was, that was my job. It was like a little bit of an investigator. I was like, I could do that. Now this was, you know, pre-Google, pre-internet, pre-all of that. So this was a lot of yellow pages and phone books and, you know, just trying to connect the dots. And so after about a week, I got that stack of files that was as tall as me down to almost nothing. And I was calling people all over the world because, you know, when you sell a house and you move, you sometimes move very far away. And so it was interesting, um, interesting work. And so they said, okay, well, she could do that. So let's, um, let's teach her how to actually work on the closing papers and, and, um, you know, start to do that. And so I did that for a while and then they moved me a little bit closer to the front of the house. I just kept moving closer and closer and closer. So fast forward eight years, I'm now vice president of operations and, Um, running the entire operational side of the back office of this mortgage company. And we decided it was time to put computers on desks. And so we hired a company to come in and and put some computers on desks. And I had the opportunity to um, learn about a financial services software company called Fiserv. And I went and interviewed with them and, uh, I got the job, someone there, um, her name is Helen. I'm still very 
very close with her, um, this lady, Helen Cass, she knew I didn't even know how to turn on a computer. She knew that I was ambitious and she took a chance on me and she said, we will teach you everything you need to know to take the software that we are making. This is like a new thing, a newfangled thing. And, um, and go from bank to bank to bank to help them install it and set it up. And I thought, all right, well, you know, this means I have to hit the road. I was 28 years old. I had two-year-old twins and a four-year-old son. And I uh, thought this, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to switch into technology. And so I took the job and I, I wasn't even sure I had the job. This was the funny thing. So it was the, um, it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving in the U S so, and those in the U S know that, um, after like Wednesday afternoon on Thanksgiving week. Christine, that was my fault. We were, we were actually interrupted by a call from New Zealand and it kicked you off. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah, it was um, it was my sister calling through, and um, she normally calls through on her way to work, and I didn't click. But for some reason, when she called through on Messenger, it bumped us off. What I'm going to try and do is this is obviously part two. I'm going to see if I can get it spliced. So because what you were talking about was so incredibly fascinating and valuable, but I'd like to pick up where we left off because if not, I'm just going to run this as a two-part series. Um, you had you had oh. where, when I left you. You had, this was the time when computers had just started hitting. It was just when personal computers were just starting to hit the banking industry. And an amazing mentor of yours had taken, had said, I see something in you. You're ambitious. You're brilliant. And she had trained you so you could go to bank to bank to bank and actually set up their banking system. I'd love to know what year this is, but I don't (laughs) Uh, but that you know, that's sure. uh, it's not yeah. that. Sure, sure. Just let me know when I should start. Is it go? Should I go oh, ahead oh, and just record oh, now? We're already recording. So. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Out. Okay, no worries, no worries. Yeah, so that was that was in 1998, and um, so a lot of these banks had been. Um, at least on the front end of their mortgage operations, they were still very much using paper. Um, and often the if they were using a system, uh, a software system, it wasn't ready for Y2K. So it needed to be replaced. And so this was kind of in that run up to when people were worried that, you know, airplanes were going to fl- fall out of the sky on New Year's Day. I remember And, that. you know, that whole thing. Yeah, people really thought airplanes were going to fall out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to admit, I actually had a little bit of extra cash laying around the house just in case ATMs didn't work or, you know, the banking system did go down, um, even though I was in the software side. So, yeah, Helen Helen took me under her wing and, and I spent four years doing that. So I went from bank to bank to bank all over the country, um, installing and configuring the software for front end mortgage operations. And then I switched over to a competitor and did that for about eight years. And, um, well, I, I take it back. I was at both of them combined for about eight years. And then I had the chance to work with a group from uh, Bearing Point, which was being acquired by PwC at the time. And they had brought in like an army of people uh, to do a, a big testing effort on a multi 
million dollar project I was working on in Ohio at the time. And this was about a $120 million project. And a couple million dollars of that was, was just to test it to make sure it worked. And the, the group that I was working with, I was so impressed with them that I ended up going over and working for them. And so I joined that group. As soon as that project was over, I joined that group. And I'm really glad I did because within a year, um, so that was in 2006. And so within a year, the the banking market started collapsing um, in the last economic downturn. But I was really lucky at that point. I was, uh, my projects were mostly at this point now custom software development projects. And I was working at a hedge fund in Connecticut at that point. And I was able to then really start my international career. And from there, I started making regular trips to India and China, um, all over the world, UK. Um, and then I started working in Canada from there. So that was my first real venture as an expat. And that was where I needed to make that decision to either go up or go wide. And uh, when I joined PwC, I was 36 years old. And for those who know about the big four consulting firms, there's a part, a path to partnership that you have there. Uh, but there's often an age where you need to have made partner by 50 or else you will not, at least in the U S you will not have the opportunity to um, do everything that you're required to do as a partner to pay back what's called a buy-in. So when you become a partner in a firm, you actually are becoming a part owner. So you buy into the firm and the firm basically gives you a, a loan that you have to pay back. And it takes about 10 years to do that in the U.S. So um, you need to make partner by the time you're 50. And so I realized I was probably running out of time, even though I was barely 40 at this point. Um, I had joined the firm in in my scenario, too late. And I had a choice. I could either go do something else or I could continue to, to work for this firm that I absolutely loved, but go broad instead of go high. And so that's the option I took because when you work for a firm like that, you have the opportunity to go on secondments, to work in other locations and really do interesting things. And every project I worked on was interesting for its own reasons. You know, I've learned so much there. You're surrounded by highly intelligent people and you get this intellectual stimulation while you're there. And that was one of the things that, that I absolutely loved, but even, even more than that, there is a program that all of the big four consulting firms have where, and they all call it slightly different things, whereby uh, when you get to a certain level, you are required as part of your own performance metrics to coach and mentor the people that are in the layer below or below that from you. And it's, it's interesting because, because it is part of your own performance metrics, you would think people would spend a little bit more time uh, in figuring out how to do it well. Um, but the reality is you're focused on your client delivery projects so much. And unless you've got it kind of built into your DNA, um, it's it, so, some people just aren't good coaches. And um, the way that it's measured is how many coaches did you have? And in some cases it's, you know, how many coaches did you have that got promoted this year or were ready for promotion this year? 
But um, what I found is that people were asking to become my coaches. And I had this pool of people that some were in my division, some weren't. But what they were telling me is that I was really helping them in their careers. I was helping to accelerate what they were doing and making things that seem difficult or mysterious to them. I was demystifying them and simplifying. And so I love that part of it. Um, and I, I wish more people could do it as easily as I could, but I'm just really glad to see the outcomes for the other people. And now that, um, now that I had made that decision, I was going to go wide. I basically spent um, like uh, in two year increments going to different places. And that's kind of how secondments work. You basically get shipped off to another country for about two years and then you come back and um, you get reintegrated in. And that's a, one of the great benefits of working for a firm like PwC. Wow. Um, and, and you even, I mean, you're an Oxford alumni as well, just to add, you know, the item cake. You, you, fitted, <laughs> you fitted that in, in between revolutionizing the banking world with computers, you know, spending two years here, spending <laughs> two years there, picking up a Russian husband along the way. Yeah. You also managed to get to Oxford. Yep. Because, I you did. know, that, yeah, I spent a year there. Because, you know, that's what, that's yep, what you so, do. <laughs> exactly. Well, the reason I did it and I was, and PwC supported me in this move totally. Um, so the reason I did it is because my undergraduate degree was from, or is from the University of Texas at Arlington. So not even like the big campus, it's one of the satellite campuses. And I got that degree in the early nineties when the Soviet Union was still a thing. And it was in Russian and uh, Soviet area studies. So upon graduation and the collapse of the Soviet Union, it immediately became a history degree. And <laughs> um, I, I thought, you know, I thought I was going to go off and join the CIA and become an analyst and a translator and all of that kind of stuff. But then, you know, marrying a second lieutenant in the Red Army kind of squashed that idea real quick. And... Um, <laughs> So, uh, so it was always interesting and I'll never forget. There was one time, um, myself and my peers at PwC and I worked when I was with PwC in the U S most of my time was in financial services. And most of that time was in New York. So I spent a lot of time on wall street and, um, I was always going, you know, first of all, I was usually the only woman in the room and my peers who were all wonderful men and still are very close to all of them. Um, they all have, you know, MBAs from Columbia and Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Cambridge and MIT. And, you know, here I am with my little bachelor of arts in Russian from UT Arlington. And I felt very self-conscious about that when I went to, um, a presentation that we gave at a Japanese bank in New York. And the, the way that this particular bank, um, wanted to see all of us who would be coming to help them with um, a, a big problem that they had was they wanted to know our biographies and everybody else, you know, before me stood up and explained their credentials, explained their backgrounds. And that was something that was very important to this bank. And I'd always felt self-conscious about the fact that when you looked at my credentials, they didn't actually match what I did. Did right, so I was a director in technology consulting, 
implementing multi-million dollar projects. I was running a multi-million dollar practice for the firm on top of all this. You know, I've got a team of 60 some odd people around the globe reporting to me. And, um, but I still had that imposter syndrome, right? I still had that anxiety. And one of the things I had always said was I wanted to go and get my master's. And um, I had the opportunity in 2015 to go and do exactly that. And so in uh, January, 2015, I headed over to England and met my cohort over there. Um, so I went to the Saeed Business School, which is part of Oxford University and worked for a year along with my cohort. And I received the following year, my um, uh, postgraduate diploma in strategy and innovation from Oxford. Oh, Christine, congratulations. I want to make sure because yeah, we're going to get interrupted it was great. again. I know we're going to get yep. interrupted again because this is um, life on life's terms. Would you tell people how to get hold of you? And then I want to ask you what you are wearing um, in a Wellington summer. But first of all, how do people sure. get hold of you? Sure. So you can go to my website, which is christineellisieve.com. There's multiple ways to get in touch with me there. Uh, you can hear the podcasts that I do from there. You can see what I do, how I do it. And there's plenty of ways to connect with me there. And from there, you'll also see my direct links to LinkedIn, Instagram, that kind of thing as well. Or you could just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm there. And you can learn a little bit more about me. Would you spell your second name? Sure. It's E-L-I-S-E-E-V. So there's a whole lot of vowels. So it's Edward, Larry, India, Sam, Edward, Edward, Victor. Thank you for that. I found that a lot of people tend to listen to podcasts in the car. So if they do, yeah. I'm going to put your, your uh, website in the show notes. But just in case, I want to make sure that millennial women and other people, but I want to make sure millennial women find you as fast as possible so they can get to C-suite mm -hmm. and make a difference. I'm going to close off because I was supposed to ask you a question about your about clothing and I totally forgot. So I'm going to say it's, ah. it's Wellington. You're not in the middle of a windstorm. Yes. I'm going to pretend you're not in the middle of a wind tunnel because Wellington <laughs> is windy Wellington for a reason. And yes, Wellington it is. is our cultural. <laughs> Wellington's our cultural center. I know you're not in Wellington. Please excuse me. But mm. Wellington is our cultural That's okay. center. It's where, it's where you'll find um, our museums, our government, our, our beehive. Look that up. So it's a beautiful summer day. You're not at work. What's your favorite outfit? Uh, um, I've actually got it on right now. So it is a muslin. Um, it, well, in the U.S., they would call it muslin. And in New Zealand, we would call it just a very light linen. Um, it's a uh, it's a shirt. It's almost like a tunic. And it is a hot pink with a blue tint to it. It's like a blue undertone to it. And I also am in um, some just white um, capris and jandals. Um, so flip-flops. And um, yep, that's pretty much what I'm in sunglasses and sunscreen and a hat a big I have a big white hat with a very wide brim and so you'll see me in that most days bouncing around the Wairarapa around the vineyards here um, you know going to the cellar doors and doing some wine tasting and we have amazing wine down in New Zealand 
Christine, thank you so yes. much. I will point out that if you're in New Zealand, you absolutely do need sunscreen. We have an ozone layer that that uh, will, our midday sun is pretty extreme. So make sure you've got your sunblock yep. um, and a wide brim hat. Christine, thank you so much. And particular kudos to you for being able to pronounce all of our, uh, all of our country and place names down there. <laughs> I would expect <laughs> no I'm less. still working I on it. I would expect uh, no less from someone who can pronounce Russian. Christine, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thank you You're for having me, Erin. I really do appreciate it. Oh, talk to you on Sunday. So I'll talk to you on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. Bye. Kia ora. Kia ora, kia ora. Aroha, aroha. Bye.